This is Seattle's Morning News. The latest settlement between the state of Washington and a victim of child abuse is a case that goes back to the 1980s involving a since-closed group home in eastern Washington, the J. Bar D. Group Home. It fits a familiar pattern. And Daryl Cochran is the attorney who represented the plaintiff in this case. This is another one of those stories, Daryl, that remained buried until therapy years later revealed what happened. So uh, tell us about this. So this is one of the darkest chapters in DSHS history in terms of foster care situations. This was a home that was licensed up in Ione, Washington, which is way up in the northeast in Ponderay County. And it was originally with the thought process, uh, at least this is how it was sold, was that this was going to be a therapeutic group home for for boys who had either behavioral disturbances or developmental challenges. And uh, what it turned out to be was instead one of the worst fleecings of the state in taxpayer history uh, for foster care homes and also uh, an atrocity in terms of children who were sexually abused and discarded. Now, this was set up as a by a, a private group of, of people and then uh, what licensed by the state? So this was set up by a, a man up in Ponderay County who had a lot of connections with DSHS people through his church out in the Spokane area and got wind of this opportunity to to bring down huge state contracts for providing care for basically discarded boys in the foster care system. And he used that uh, opportunity to get state DSHS foster care contracts to uh, to exploit uh, the taxpayers and the boys who were involved. Really? So this was a fraud from the beginning? Did this guy have any uh, therapeutic skills at all? It, he certainly didn't bring them to bear if he ever had them. What what the conclusion was at the end of his 10 or 15 year run was that he'd use that to, to fleece the taxpayers. What they would do is that they would take on some of the most behaviorally challenged uh, boys in the foster care system, for example, kids with Down syndrome. Yeah. And then DSHS would pay him to provide what he sold as therapeutic foster care for Down syndrome kids, for children who'd been sexually abused, for children who were sexual aggressors. And at least the thought process from the state was that, you know, gosh, this would be an opportunity for the kids to get uh, top level therapeutic care, which they paid for, which we paid for as taxpayers. But instead, he just bled that off. He hired uh, people at minimum wage who were alcoholics and drug addicts or with criminal records and provided no no care for these boys. In fact, they were the you know, they were the fodder for sexual abusers and and uh, substance abusers. Right, including uh, your client being one of them. So there was, there were no state inspections. Isn't there an accrediting agency for places like this that that, that does uh, unannounced inspections to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen? Well, in, in theory, so the policy at the time required a particular group of licensors who were in Spokane to ensure that the home was providing therapeutic foster care, that it had qualified staff people, that it provided the protections that it was supposed to under the state contract. But those licensors who were fellow church members of the uh, homeowner did not do that. In fact, kind of ran cover for them routinely over about a decade uh, and uh, permitted them to, to continue bringing the state contract money home while leaving the boys uh, to their. That's crazy. So you keep mentioning the church. So this was like a, a, a group of people who had this religious association and did, 
was anybody well-intentioned here? Uh, or or were they all just grifters from the beginning? Well, you know, I think over the course of 10 years, there would be people who would drift in uh, with the notion that they were going to do something good at, at this foster care group home. But those are the exact people who get run off by a foster care group homeowner who's intent on fleecing the state and, and harming kids because they would be tempted to report abuse, right? And so as yeah. soon as that happens, you have a group home, uh, you know, the owner running them off, making sure that they wouldn't. So there's actually a good example. Of but that, the, see, because- the, see, if that was me uh, and I saw it going on, and I'm a, a, a believer in the Almighty. <laughs> uh, I would be motivated to go to the police right away, if, if for no other reason than to avoid eternal punishment. So you're saying that the religious people who saw the abuse going on were run off and then said nothing? Well, as we know, occasionally there are both good and bad people drawn to religion and to foster care homes. So you see the best of the best and the worst of the worst. And this group was the worst at both foster care and their uh, re- religious affiliation. So how'd this finally come out then? This was, th- this was uh, revealed through therapy? No, uh, it was <laughs> revealed by a fantastic personality, the sheriff of Ponderay County, a guy named Tony Bamonte, who was a real-life Western cowboy and do-gooder who uh, went to the superior court there in Ponderay County and said, we have got to do something about it. I keep getting these boys who are running away from the group home and telling, uh, you know, stories about having been handcuffed to an anvil overnight, uh, having been raped and abused. And, and so he initiated a hearing there in Ponderay County and the judge came back with scathing findings, both against the group home and against the DSHS licensors. And that really broke it open. Okay. So this settlement, how much does the state uh, end up paying? So for this particular uh, man, they uh, settled for $1.5 million after about three weeks of trial. And this is what frustrates people. It's it's like with the scandals in the Catholic Church. It's today's taxpayers paying for the abuses or the neglect of long gone state officials. So uh, going forward, how do you prevent this? By learning the lesson that this case has to teach us, right, that they uh, that there are horrible people who involved uh, with foster care and that we we can't ignore that. Uh, There's always a a temptation by us in each successive generation to say, gosh, you know, it's foster care and they're going to be good people. But you have to understand that there are horrifically intended uh, people who get involved and that's. Uh, to be ever vigilant about that is the important lesson from this. I just feel that's unfair to the good people who do get involved in, in foster care, you know, many of whom the, we work with and, and raise money for. And I, I assume that there was a licensing procedure to screen out those who are there for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that the really good people who are involved in foster care can help all of us do is to make sure that when they see someone deviating from the standards of care and, and policy that they report that and that we have an opportunity then to, to shut that down and prevent harm. Oh, oh, let's go. And now, Choke oh, Points, brought to you by Acton's Quality oh, Roofing. Chris is here with some of the top transportation stories of the year. 
The ending of the unplanned exile of West Seattle is my top story of the year. The reopening of the West Seattle Bridge in September ended more than two and a half years of misery for people living and working in that neighborhood. The closure not only cut off the primary artery to West Seattle, but it put thousands of more cars into South Park, Georgetown, and I-5 as residents looked for ways around. It was a joyous Sunday when it reopened. It feels like it was longer than two and a half years. Um, I think considering with the, the, with the um, hand they were dealt, I think it was responsibly handled. I think they did a lot of research to make sure they were going to do the right fix. And thankfully, it didn't turn into a replacement because that would have been just hell. The Seattle Department of Transportation says the bridge should live out its original lifespan now with a few more decades of service. This familiar sound that we have all come to love has fallen silent. The Washington Department of Transportation finally finished all of its Revive I-5 work south of downtown Seattle this year. These lovely expansion joints, most of them originals from the 1960s, have now been replaced. The pavement bumps are gone and so are the weekend lane closures and delays. But before you get too comfy, Revive I-5 from downtown Seattle to Northgate begins next year and will last several more years. Speaking of construction projects that have wrapped up, the long nightmare, 20 plus years of it for those of you in Tacoma, is over. The Department of Transportation wrapped up the long work there to expand the HOV system and replace the Puyallup River Bridge in both the north and southbound direction, wrapped up earlier this year. And those extra lanes through downtown Tacoma have really made a difference in the drive. Gone are the almost daily backups northbound through the Tacoma Dome all the way up to the Puyallup River Bridge. Those vanished. So that's great. The problem is... The Department of Transportation is going to ramp up work south of JBLM as it continues to expand the freeway down towards Nisqually. One of the scariest stories of the year happened in July when the ferry Kath Lamott slammed into the Fauntleroy dock in West Seattle. Stephen Allen was on board. As we were coming in, typically they'll slow the boat down several hundred feet before the dock. This time I noticed the boat was coming in rather fast, coming in hot, I guess, as we would call it. The ferry slammed into the alignment piling known as a dolphin just off the dock. It crumpled the left side of the ferry, destroying that area where people stand, known as the pickle fork. It also destroyed several cars. Ferry's head, Patty Rubstello. So I have had a chance to get on the vessel, kind of look at all the damage. It is fairly significant. It truly is a miracle that someone wasn't injured. The ferry is still being repaired. The captain at the helm that day is resigned. The Coast Guard still hasn't released the official cause of the crash. The King County concrete strike that lasted several months will be felt long into the future. The lack of concrete put many big projects behind schedule, including the West Seattle Bridge repairs. The lack of concrete is another of the reasons why Sound Transit says it continues to delay the promises it made under ST3. It wasn't the lack of concrete, but bad concrete that has forced the agency to pull up tracks on the I-90 floating bridge, putting the extension to Bellevue in jeopardy. There's talk of starting the Bellevue to Redmond line as I-90 gets figured out. Linwood has been pushed back to late 2024 or early 2025. Federal Way is pushed back to 2025 as well. So the cause of that ferry crash is going to remain forever a mystery? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, no. I mean, the, the Coast Guard is just taking its sweet time in figuring out exactly where to put the blame there. But let's not forget, that ferry missed. It didn't. It wasn't even aligned with the dock. Yeah. It hit the le- it hit the pylon on the wrong side of the boat. It, it, it was all the way 
way over and nearly ran aground. So, uh, you know, the drug tests came back negative, uh, but we'll see. So kind of like the NTSB, the Coast Guard takes a very long time with these kinds of investigations, which you can understand. But uh, we'll be watching that one going into next year. Shadows Morning News. This is Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. Washington State is going to get a salary transparency law next year. Let's consult with former State Attorney General Rob McKenna. Our conversation sponsored by Madrona Financial Services. So explain the concept behind salary transparency, Rob. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, this law, like laws in Colorado and elsewhere, uh, will require Washington State companies that have more than 15 employees to disclose a salary range and benefit information in any published job listings online, in the newspaper, anywhere. And, uh, you know, that's that's a big change, especially for the tech industry, where people often go through several rounds of interviews before they you know, find out what the compensation package really looks like. And, you know, as, as an article in GeekWire pointed out earlier this year, <laughs> you often are put in the position in such interviews to say, well, what are your salary requirements? Yeah. And, you know, you don't know. And you can actually end up bidding against yourself. And if you if you name a low number and they, they say, OK, good, that's what we'll pay you. That can set you back for years. So it's that situation, uh, particularly in the, in the tech industry, that has given rise to these laws around the country. Not not in most places, but in an increasing number of jurisdictions. And it's why uh, I think that the bill that passed earlier this year, Senate Bill 5160, excuse me, and it's why the bill that passed earlier this year, Senate Bill 5761, was advocated for by a, a software engineer, among others. So uh, the people are tired of uh, being at an information disadvantage when they're negotiating with or interviewing with a tech company. Now, can companies get around that by, since it says salary range, they could just quote a really wide salary range, couldn't they? Yes, that's a possibility. Um, however, there's some intention by the state to police that. So uh, the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries has been working this year to create a system for investigating noncompliance and complaints. I, I think that a, a range which isn't justified by you know, concrete factors like experience, it, it will be challenged if, if, in fact, a complaint is filed about it. I, I'm sure you'll see some companies test, you know, test this by trying out pretty wide ranges and claiming they're based on experience levels. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fact is it would be impossible to require an exact number to be advertised because things like experience do matter. Now, how do you actually enforce this? Because in my experience, when uh, when companies, when you sign a company with a contract, many times it includes a clause saying that the contents of this contract are are confidential, which means you can't disclose your salary range. So how would you enforce this? Well, it'll be enforced through complaints that are filed with the Department of Labor and Industries against companies who post job listings without the required salary range and benefit information. Oh, okay. Uh, so it'll be it'll be disclosed up front. Now that does create an interesting uh, issue. Some critics of these laws say that this will actually work against employees because future employers will be able to find out somehow um, what they went to work for, right? At least what right. the range was. So to your point about, you know, 
confidentiality that could go away. The next job you go to, they may be able to look back and figure out what the salary range for, for the job was that you just left. And then they'll know what, what, you know, your range might be in the new job. That's somewhat speculative, but I, you know, I think that actual experience will matter to, uh, to these laws and whether they're around for the long term. That's what I'm thinking because, okay, they quote you a salary range and you take the job. And the only way you can, quote, suspect that you're being underpaid is if somebody discloses what they're actually making in a similar job, either at your company right. or some other company. And if unless most companies are required to disclose that, how do you get that information? Yeah, that's that's right. I, you know, I mean, most people at a company will eventually find out what, what their peers are earning. Yeah. Uh, and I think this acts as a, a check on companies uh, to prevent them from seriously underpaying person A versus person B because person A is going to be upset and is likely to leave. And there's also just the, the, the obvious fact that there's fierce competition for talent among uh, tech companies and particularly the people with with strong technical skills like uh, like coders and so they're already you know paying more and it have been increasing the amount they have to pay in order to attract the talent in the first instance but for lots of other jobs that are uh, you know not technical let's say a job in human resources for example or as a recruiter um you know it, it it i think this will help those employees i think They'll go in with more information. They'll be able to compare one company to another. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's folks like that who are, are going to benefit the most from transparency. So I guess the, the bottom line is even with a law like this that's designed to protect you, there's no substitute for good negotiating skills, is there? I think that's absolutely right. Uh, absolutely right. Former State Attorney General Rob McKenna. Rob, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Dave Ross with Chris Sullivan. Last hour, we were discussing the recent settlement that the state made in the case of child abuse involving a group home facility, which has since been closed. The attorney on the case is Daryl Cochran, representing the plaintiff in this case. He called this one of the darkest chapters in the Washington State Department of Social and Health Services. And so I asked him, where can you look for examples of success when it comes to uh, helping put families back together? Uh, he also, so in addition to this case, he worked on another case involving a, uh, a child molestation case in the Olympia School District, which he'll explain here. You can see why this would happen, though, because we are, I mean, we're still in the mental health crisis, right? And uh, especially post-pandemic, and uh, you hear repeated desperate calls from the state for to hire more people who can provide uh, mental health counseling and, and therapy and just run these group homes. But it's... It's a tough job. It's really tough to find people. And there's the temptation to accept anybody who shows up, right, to apply because there are so many people who who need help. Is there let me ask you this, is there any state or any country that's getting it right? Or are we doomed to hear case after case after case like this? Well, I think we could probably look to Norway and Sweden for good examples, maybe even Australia for good examples of how to do it better than we do. I think it all starts with making sure that you're paying uh, people well so that you are attracting the best talent. And, and this is, a, I know something, Dave, that you probably brought up in, in, uh, in, in politics and government all the time is you, we, we have to compensate people so that 
so that we attract the great talent, the smart talent, the conscientious talent. And, and that's certainly true of this system as well. We just had a story uh, just recently. Olympia School District has agreed to a $7.5 million settlement over a school bus driver who admitted to molesting 30 young children over five years going back to 2011. And again, it's one of those cases where five years, how does someone get, get away with that? Well, they, they scare the children into not talking. But I, I, I just still have trouble believing with uh, decades We've been warned about stranger danger and we're teaching kids now what's private and what's not private. And yet this still happens. What are we missing? Well, that that Olympia School District bus driver case is mine as well. And there's been a whole series of those cases. But again, it it comes down to to making sure that we have people in place who are competent and understand that there are both good people drawn to these professions or avocations. And then there are horrible people in the Olympia school district example is one where you had a a very bad transportation director who was just hiring anybody and everybody who came forward. And, and in in the course of the lawsuits that we had in that case, the transportation director was saying, we never had any reason to distrust our bus drivers to which we said, that is the most naive moronic thing I've ever heard because we know that particularly when it comes to child care and the care of mentally, uh, you know, mental health situations, that that there are both good and bad people drawn to it. And you have to be uh, ever vigilant to make sure that you've got good people and not bad people in place. And I guess it means if if that requires that you have to shut down a facility, then you do that rather than just hire anybody who applies, huh? Absolutely. And, you know, Western State is a a great example of the mental health issue. We know that if we if we hire great administrators of a mental health hospital, things work well. And if we don't, it could be disastrous quickly uh, because the the vulnerability of the people involved, um, you know, makes them very susceptible to abuse if we do it improperly. What kind, what is the salary range for somebody who wants to get into the mental health profession? <laughs> well, the salary range will be dependent on on who's running the operation, right? I mean, so in these group homes, what you saw time and time again is the group home operators would look for free labor. For example, they would go and they would find people who were uh, in the labor and industry system who were disabled or, you know, who couldn't function there. And then they would get them as free labor uh, for a period of time and then fire them and move on to the next one. Or they would get volunteers. You know, if you're if you have a, a grown man who's volunteering to be around children, that is a huge red flag. Why? Because we know that child molesters are drawn to that environment. Right. So. So the, the, the salary range could be anywhere from, uh, you know, zero free labor on up. And, and we know that we have to pay in order to attract safe, um, nurturing people. You're talking about, uh, uh, what Norway and Sweden and Australia. What, what's, what are, what salaries do they typically pay to their mental health professionals? I wish I, I wish I knew that, but I, what I do know is that, uh, you know, that in their systems, that they they kind of aggregate salaries better so that so that everyone's making sure that they're you know getting strong wages living wages 
in what what we see in in our situations is that these group home operators will will find the cheapest uh, labor that they possibly can and put them in place. Well, you know, taxpayers are worried about spending a lot of money on this stuff, and it gets very expensive when you start paying a a superior wage to a highly educated, competent, and trustworthy person. Um, I, I think part of this is, I guess, persuading people to accept. Uh, higher taxes in order to prevent more stories like this? Because it sounds like, I mean, 1.5 million, it sounds like a lot. Is the settlement, As these settlements go, that's actually quite small. Uh, how much do states end up paying out when it goes wrong like this? You'll see a settlement like 7.5 million in the Olympia School District case, right? And, and to your point, uh, getting everybody to understand it's, you know, don't be penny wise, pound foolish, because if if we keep skimping on wages for people that are in these important positions over vulnerable people, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And it might be much worse later. Attorney Darrell Cochran. Darrell, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. And since the interview, I looked up the salary for mental health workers, average salary for mental health workers in Norway, and it is the equivalent of about uh, sixty one thousand dollars. Absolute victory. This morning's commentary brought to you by Wafed Bank. Against all odds and doom and gloom scenarios, Ukraine didn't fall. Ukraine is alive and kicking. President Zelensky of Ukraine stood before Congress last night declaring that Ukraine had more than enough of its own soldiers and more than enough courage to beat Russia and that all he was asking for from us was to send more weapons. We have artillery. Yes. Thank you. We have it. Is it enough? Honestly, not really. His speech was immediately compared to the speech delivered to Congress 81 years ago by Winston Churchill just after Christmas in 1941, three weeks after Pearl Harbor, promising to punish Germany and Japan. What kind of a people do they think we are? Is it possible they do not realize that we shall never cease to persevere against them until they have been taught a lesson which they and the world will never forget? Last night, Zelensky said the United States needed to teach a similar lesson to Russia and its ally, Iran. It is just a matter of time when they will strike against your other allies if we do not stop them now. We must do it. And to remove any doubt about his resolve, not just to survive, but to win, he quoted FDR's Pearl Harbor speech. The American people, in their righteous might, will win through to absolute victory. The Ukrainian people will win too. Absolutely. The American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. And while it's tempting to end this commentary on that stirring quote, I have to point out this, that while we did achieve that absolute victory, it ultimately involved dropping an atomic bomb in a world where we were the only country that had one. <laughs> 
And now it's time for your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. In 1999, Adya Zuge was a 11-year-old refugee fleeing the former Yugoslavia with her older sister when a stranger handed them an envelope on a flight to the U.S. Inside, they found a $100 bill. It was a gift that the sisters have never forgotten. And now, more than two decades later, they found the woman who helped them and met again in person for the first time since that flight. Here's CBS's Steve Hartman. For Ida Zugai of Boston, Massachusetts, no matter what shows up under the tree this year, she says no present will ever compare to a gift she got back in 1999 on one of the scariest days of her life. Civil war was raging in Yugoslavia, bombs closing in on her family. So Ida's parents put their 11-year-old daughter and her sister on a plane to the U.S. by themselves. Ida vividly remembers the fear, but remembers just as well the comforting stranger seated next to her, an American. I remember how kind she was to us, you know, treating us like her family. So it was a bit of a shock, to be honest. Especially when she handed you the envelope? Yeah, I couldn't believe that somebody had so much empathy. The outside of the envelope read in part, I hope your stay in America will be a safe and happy one. Signed, a friend from the plane, Tracy. And when Ida opened it, she found a $100 bill inside. Ida and her sister moved in with a relative who didn't have too much more than they did. So that $100 bill fed the family for three months. And Ida says it continues to feed her soul to this very day. That's why I actually kept Tracy's letter, because uh, it's a reminder to me that people are good. It has also been a main driver in her life. Ida owns two businesses that promote environmental and social justice. The reason why I do what I do is because of Tracy. Every decision that I made had to do with paying it forward. I was wondering if you can help me find Tracy. A few years ago, Ida put word out on social media hoping to find the woman who gave her life direction. She spent years searching, until not long ago, when her message finally got through to Tracy Peck of Blaine, Minnesota. (laughs) Tracy, Ida, and her sister Vanya reunited last weekend. We just stood there and hugged and cried, and I just felt such a deep love for them. I can't wait to come to your wedding. Tracy Peck gave away $100 to total strangers. But she says the gift she has gotten in return is far more precious. Seven forty nine. G. Scott is here. So we're talking what not to give your kid for Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> what not to give your kids for Christmas and some of the best things to get your kids kids for Christmas. Good morning to you, Dave. Hi. You know, um, one of the things we talked about on the show yesterday is, like, kids don't want some type of uh, school bag organizer. They don't want any new backpacks for Christmas. A lot of them don't want any socks and drawers. That's actually what Dad wants. Uh, I don't even know if they still want those anymore, but I, I shoot, I'll take it. They don't want, you know, those kind of things. Now, if you really want to get close to school, yeah, some books are cool. Some some books are solid. But look, don't hit the home run with the kids. And the home run that I've been using all week long, yes. the home run with the kids are the latest and greatest video games. 
That's what they want. That's what they want. And then you got some of the little ones around, you know, 6 to 11 years old. They love Roblox. That's Ro- been, yeah, Roblox. That's that's this. Hey, look, I, look, man, I don't even understand it either. <laughs> but my friends' kids, they love it. They be on it. I give them little gift cards for Roblox all the time, and they absolutely love it. It's basically like the construction projects. You, well, they do all kinds of stuff, but they're basically yeah. online hanging out with each other, and they use the money to uh, buy clothes for themselves and do little. I don't know. Their, their profile <laughs> their profile character gets different jackets and and all I those see. things. Oh, I see. What did you get your grandkids, Dave? Uh, well, I mean, they're really young, so we got them like little cute clothes and and lots of books. And, and I, I prefer um, uh, those magnetic blocks that you can build things out of. Uh, they also like little cars that uh, you know will race across the floor. I'm trying to get them interested in, in projects that involve soldering, though. But that's going to have to get a little older before they're ready for that. What, Dave? What? What? I mean, some of my fondest memories as a kid, G. We're spending time with my grandfather putting together uh, electronics projects. So he built a, a working radio and a little radio transmitter and then a, an intercom. And then, you, you know, you go on to the, the flashing lights and stuff like that. It's a bonding thing. I, I, I once uh, wound my own coil for, for an electric motor. I spent all of Christmas Day finally getting that motor to work. Very fond memory. Jingle bells all the way. <laughs> I, I got I to gotta give you credit for that. I don't know. I, I, I guess, uh, Sully, any, any kid stuff that you'd give or not to give? Well, I've got to admit that Tommy really enjoyed the lathe that we got him oh, that nice. one year. Come on. No. <laughs> I was making it go with Jinka falling up on tape. I would, I lo- I would have <laughs> loved to have a lathe. Woodworking tools, a lathe, a circular saw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, Tommy loved Legos. Yeah. You know, you, you can never go wrong, but now that he's a, you know, now he's a college man, you know, he needs things, he gets them himself. So, you know, we try to just find fun things that he's into. Um, as you probably know with Baby G, Tom, uh, G, I know he has much better style than my boy, but because <laughs> he follows his dad. That's right. But, you know, Tom just wears all his team-issued stuff. So like, I don't need any clothes because I just always wear his team-issued gear because I give him so much. So, yeah, it's just little fun things. I've gotten him a lot of trinkets of pictures from him yeah. during the season. Yeah. So, you know, stuff that he can hang on for years. I think the kind of giving, you know, memories is kind of what we're into now. Speaking of Legos, what's up, man? Why, why is everybody holding on to the Legos, making Legos so expensive now? You know, there's some parents that have kids that would love for their kids to play with Legos, but no. A lot of us older folks, Gen X and baby boomers, you guys are buying them and holding on to them and making the price go up. Stop it. People want to get the Legos. And I do have some advice, though, Dave, for those parents out there that just because every single year there's always like the hot item. And I don't know what the hot item is right now for kids. But you remember back in the day, uh, uh, Cabbage Patch Kids. Yeah. Tickle Me Elmo. T- you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was always like, oh, my goodness, I got to have it. Yeah. To the parents out there that don't get that one item, it'll be okay. Yeah. Trust me. Like, don't I don't lose sleep if your child does not get that number one item. If anything, get, a, get that item for them in January and February. Right. The other gifts are going to be okay. Right. All those all those hot gifts will be in the will be in the thrift stores by next year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just wanted to, your kids are resilient. They'll be fine. They'll, They'll be, be okay. Fine. Yep. G Scott with Ursula at nine o'clock. Here 
from the coach first. This is the best place in the world to play football. This is the Pete Carroll Preview, presented by Muckleshoe Casino and Pizza Hut. Here's your host, Steve Ray. Well, Pete, thanks for taking a, a couple of minutes off um, this Christmas week as, as everybody else gets settled in and gets ready to celebrate the holidays. You guys are obviously back at work doing what you uh, need to do. Um, from upstairs where we sat last weekend, uh, last Thursday actually, it looked like you made some pretty good strides on where you wanted to get to, where you wanted to be. You're going to need that and everything else combined going into Kansas City this week, yes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we uh, we definitely got better on defense. We played a, a solid game with a, with a couple plays that got away that was just too much for this matchup. You know, they're such a good defense, they're going to keep your score down. I think I said it probably earlier in the week that it, this needed to be a 13-10 game or 14-13 or something kind of game. And we, we gave them too much uh, spread on us with the big play they had down the middle and and uh, getting killed loose on the on the edge one time. So other than that, uh, I thought we played a really good football game that could have kept us uh, with those, within striking distance. And Gino's uh, ability to take the team down the field late, you know, in the two-minute situation, you know, showed that we we had that that firepower at the end if we needed it and so it's just unfortunate they're, they're really a good team and I give them all the credit uh they pulled it off with the with the pup quarterback and and uh that was a, a great game for them to get the division facing actually just the opposite this week in a team that's got an all-world quarterback uh and won their division but before we get to talk about the chiefs let's talk about one of the weapons you won't have this week at least but tyler lockett had his surgery you said that went okay from what i understand Back in the day, we always used to talk about next man up. That just doesn't seem adequate to describe what yeah. it's going to take when a guy like Tyler Lockett is out of the lineup. You know, I'm all often asked, and over the years, I always say, "Hey, well, is this? You know, can he replace this guy?" No, you know, Tyler <laughs> Lockett, you can't replace the guy. He's a phenomenal, you know, once in a career as a coach kind of player, and and uh, so. Um, but there's guys that can do great stuff, and then we'll, we're going to call on them to do that. And that's where they have to step up and be ready and take advantage of the opportunity, just like you know all these Tyler did when he was a pup and all that. So, uh, but we're going to miss him. But uh, maybe you know maybe he gets back in a couple of weeks, and you know if if, if that's possible, he's going to do it. He's he's was talking that way before he even left the locker room, you know, the other night. And so um, he's an amazing competitor and a great player, and we're lucky to have him, and, and maybe we'll get to see him back before long. And um, regarding uh, his success this season and a lot of the other players uh, on your team, you guys had a chance now. The uh, the uh, Pro Bowl uh, names have been released, and Seahawks have a bunch on that list why don't you run run those guys down for us yeah really proud to, to get you know that, that kind of representation people have shown some respect of, of, of the club which is always nice uh, Quandre Diggs goes back again um, you know and, and uh, it's great to see Q get recognized again he's a fantastic player and a great leader on our team uh, Jason Meyer uh, goes as the kicker uh, you know for uh, for the NFC and that's that's a fantastic honor he's had a great season just been terrific mm-hmm. how about this one Geno Smith is, Hello. Is in, is a Pro Bowl selection. And, oh, that's uh, great. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful story, man? It's just so yeah. good. There's so much to talk about there, you know, when, whenever we get the chance, but I'm just so thrilled for him and, and I just love the way he's handled everything. And now we got to finish up with a couple good games here or three, three really good games here to, to put us on the map somewhere. And uh, he'll do it. Um, how about this next one? Tariq Woolen is a Pro Bowler. Isn't that something? Another yes. great story. I mean, we, we might have the exactly. two best feel-good stories, you know, that you can find in the league as we go. Now, we've got alternates, uh, that, you know, guys that are recognized by the Pro Bowl mm-hmm. voting as well. Jordan Brooks, um, with all those tackles, he's probably second in the league in tackling and, and had a fantastic year. 
um, uh, a really cool one too is Chen Nuoso. You know that he gets recognized. He'd never been before, and uh, you know, that's hard to get there the first time. It's hard to get the recognition, and he had such a, a complete year, run run game, pass game, and he's such a good tough leader on our club. So that's we everybody's excited about that one. Uh, no surprise in this one that Tyler and, and DK are both recognized also. Um, both of you know yep. about 80 catches, and they've had great seasons to this point. And, and uh, I'm really thrilled that those guys get the recognition as kind of as a pair in this one. And then mm-hmm. uh, uh, to, to, to top it off, we have a really, really good special teams group. You know, Jay Meyer's already there, but Mike Dixon's going in that regard too. Um, he's If there was a game, he's, he's, he's an alternate to play in that one. And then for the third time in a row, I think it's three in a row, Nick Ballore gets recognized again. You know, it's just a great core, blood and guts, captain of the special teams type of guy, man. And we're just, everybody's so fired up about him. He's a great, great member of our club. So that's 10 guys, you know, it's a lot of recognition. That, that really is. Congratulations to you and the coaching staff as well as to the players because those guys don't make it without uh, what you guys uh, do every week uh, for them, uh, every day, as a matter of fact. Um, this was kind of a mini bye week for you guys. Um, you had a f- couple extra days off, so did it help getting some of the guys who were nicked up maybe ready to play? Do we know any more about There's guys no, like Al and those guys? No no question that it, that it helped in general. You know, the, the three days off was a big boost for our guys. Um, after the, you know, coming back Thursday night, um, it's not necessarily going to help everybody, you know, but um, some guys will take it differently. We, we won't know till the end of the week what's going on. Uh, DJ Dallas uh, practices practicing today would, would, was uh, showed us something. We'll have to see how, how he handles that. Um, Al's still still slow to get back. Uh, maybe next week we have a shot at him. We'll see if he can if he can pull off some magic here at the end of the week. Um, uh who else we got uh, uh ken you know should should be okay to, to go again he made it back through mm-hmm. that last week and a little bit uh kept him quiet early in the week and, and he's made some some strides to get back in there and do some stuff so uh we'll see how you know how everybody hangs in there and see if we can get everybody back in action i'd be remiss if i didn't ask about this number one offense in the national football league with respect to the the uh, chiefs led by patrick mahomes and travis kelsey these two guys together are as good as any combination. And when you think about combinations, I don't necessarily think quarterback and tight end. You tend to think more wide receiver. What is it about these two guys? Oh, they're, they're really something. I mean, this, there's a lot going on here. It's not not just the, the talent of the players. That Andy Reid has you know, designated uh, Eric Bieniemy to be in charge of this thing and call this thing. And, man, they, they, they really call it to, to use them at their very best. It's a really... Uh, obvious part of their game that they they highlight their players to do things that they do well Mahomes is everywhere can do everything and, and is phenomenal uh Kelsey is, is those two guys together they're just magic you know and and uh um he's had a ton of you know, balls again this year 12 touchdowns you know and 1100 yards or something whatever he's got already um so that, but what they what they're good at is 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 doing what they do and their coaches have done a great job to highlight that and so uh, number one offense, number one third down offense. It's going to be a, a great challenge for our guys. But this is what it takes. I mean, we, you know, if we're going to finish and do something here, and I've been saying it because it's, it's. I don't know. I just think it's the facts. You got to play well against these teams, and we got to beat one of them. And, and uh, if we're going to, you know, if you ever get yourself in the playoffs, and you got your chance. You got to beat teams like this to do anything. So there ain't nothing wrong with this matchup. Pete, thank you so much for the time. Uh, see you on the plane as we head off to KC to play in a, a little bit of a chilly icebox back there, but it'll be fun. Thanks. Okay, see ya. Thank you. The Pete Carroll Preview has been brought to you by Muckleshoot Casino and Pizza Hut. Hear the next game right here on your home for the Hawks, Cairo News Radio.
is Seattle's Morning News. I'm Dave Ross. And let's go to Mickey Gomez because, actually, if I sound a little out of breath, it's because after I read the uh, USA Today article you forwarded me, I immediately did 20 push-ups just to make sure I still could. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell me about these, these simple things that can uh, save your life. Well, thank you for letting me know that uh, that you're doing much better than I am. I can't even do one push up, Dave. Thanks. So um, so the simple things that you can do to extend your life and one of them, according to research, a study that was done in the UK was that you can actually pour yourself a nice cup of joe or drink an aromatic hot cup of tea. And as you drink your coffee or, you know, you sip your hot tea, you got to wonder, does drinking more coffee and tea reduce your risk of dying? Well, according to the study, uh, the answer is yes. A huge uh, study looking at about half a million people in the UK using this self-reported questionnaire uh, looked to see if drinking coffee and tea was actually good for them. And what researchers found is that those who drank about two to four cups of tea and one to two cups of coffee daily reduce their risk of dying by 22% as opposed to those huh. who drink neither tea or coffee. Now, is there a, I don't know how deeply you got into this, but is there a causal relationship between the consumption of tea and longer life? Or does it just turn out that people whose lifestyle is generally healthier also happen to like tea? That's a really good question, Dave. I know that people in the UK, I actually am a product of Europe. I grew up in Europe and the the food and, and the ingredients in food are a lot different. And that's why they say that uh, people in Europe tend to live a bit, little bit longer than we do here in the US because we have a lot of fast food. But let me tell you, what, um, what was reported is that both coffee and tea have really potent bioactive compounds like caffeine or chlorogenic acid. And those play a big role, according to science, as a protective role against chronic disease. Um, and we all know that, you know, tea is rich in antioxidants and antioxidants reduce inflammation. They help lower blood, blood pressure and they help manage blood sugar levels, which can also help with heart disease. So it begs the question, Dave, do you drink coffee or tea? I drink tea, but I only drink decaffeinated coffee because I yeah. don't like I don't like the effect of caffeine. I, I don't like the uh, the racing heart effect. And I didn't think I mean, are, are you sure that all coffee is healthy? Because okay, it so seems not, like caffeine, you know, caffeine can sometimes be harmful, especially to people with heart conditions. Right. Absolutely. And what we're talking about is black coffee. We're not talking about the Americana coffee that you get at um, our favorite uh, our favorite stores. Right. We, where we ask for frappuccinos with cream and sugar. We're talking about black coffee, maybe with a little bit of sugar. We're talking about, you know, herbal teas that are hot. Um, we're not talking about any additives. And um, yes, science does tell us that if you have or drink too much caffeine, it can lead to issues. So you have to find a balance, right? But what happens if you drink too much caffeine? Well, the dangers are you can get a headache, which is why, um, you know, some people opt to drink decaffeinated coffee, just like you, Dave. But what we've also found is that there is still a little bit of caffeine in decaffeinated coffee. What I read was that all they do to take the caffeine out of the beans is rinse the beans. Right. 
And when they yeah. rinse the beans, yeah, they don't completely get rid of the caffeine. Right. But yes, drinking caffeine can lead to uh, dangers, especially if you drink more than 400 milligrams per day. You can get headaches, insomnia, nervousness, anxiety, irritability, rapid heartbeat, muscle tremors. So you got to find that sweet spot. You got to make sure that you're drinking under 400 milligrams per day of caffeine. And that's according to uh, dietitians. I looked it up. Uh, According to national dietitians, you stay in that sweet spot at about 300 milligrams per day. And caffeine can actually be helpful to you, according to this study. You're starting to sound like a drug ad disclaimer here. Um, <laughs> I, Thanks, Dave. <laughs> I, I don't have my caffeine milligram measurer handy. So uh, how, how do you figure if, you, if you're brewing it yourself, how do you know how many milligrams of caffeine are, well, are in you gotta your look on the, Good question. You got to look on the back of the box, right? And you got to make sure that you're scooping the right amounts. And then, of course, on every tea bag, it should tell you how much caffeine is in each of the pouches that you're cooking. So just okay. follow the directions on the back of your coffee or follow the on the back okay, of your tea. Fine. I'm yeah, the man. I, I don't mean, follow directions. I just <laughs> I, I make it. All. Let's talk about the exercise. Now, everybody knows exercise is a good thing. What we're all trying mm-hmm. to figure out, though, is what is the least amount of exercise we can get away with and still have it be a benefit. So what do you know about that? Well, here's what I know is that some exercise between 20 and 30 minutes a day is going to be helpful for you. And that's whether or not you're, you know, whether you're cleaning your house or you're walking the dog, um, you know, that's really going to help reduce the your blood pressure first you make me measure the milligrams of caffeine now you're gonna make me buy a dog come on you don't have a dog i do not have a dog no well walk your cat (laughs) just do 20 to 30 minutes of exercise every day you don't need a pet but it is helpful okay (laughs) mickey gomez thank you mickey all right you're very welcome 